Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is off the podium, an Olympics podcast, and we're back for another athlete interview in our special series of interviews with athletes who have either competed in the Olympic Games or are about to compete in the Olympic Games, basically. We should really be in the zone right now, of course, for Tokyo 2020, but unfortunately that's not the case. So we're bringing you some special episodes in the meantime. Today's guest is Brendan Rodney, a bronze medalist from the 2016 Rio Olympic Games, part of the 4x100-metre team for Canada that took out a bronze medal in those games. Now, we spoke with Aaron Brown a couple of weeks ago, so Brendan Rodney in that team as well. And Brendan gives a great interview here, chatting about how we got into the sport, sort of uh, looking up to certain idols, working with coaches, getting in the zone of sprinting, the differences, I guess, between working with the 200 and the 100. Brendan's more of a 200-meter specialist, so kind of how does that differ to working maybe more so on the 100 meters? The current shutdown, how that affected his preparation, and everything else in between. A really fun chat here with Brendan Rodney. And a first on this podcast, as myself, an Australian, gets to speak to a Canadian athlete. So uh, it was bound to happen one day, and this is what is happening today. So here it is, our chat with Olympic bronze medalist Brendan Rodney. Continue on our interview series here and off the podium. I'm very excited to be able to speak to our next guest. And it's, it's an unusual thing for me because generally I'm the one interviewing the Australian athletes and Colin's the one interviewing the Canadian athletes. But we're doing it a little bit differently today. I'm the one interviewing a Canadian athlete and I'm very excited to be able to do this. He's a bronze medalist from the Rio Olympics in the 4 by 100 meter relay. Also competed in the 200 meters at those games. And the first time I think I get to speak to a Somebody in athletics as well, so ticking off a few boxes. I do, of course, speak of the one, the only Mr. Brendan Rodney. Brendan, pleasure to have you on the program today, mate. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing very, very well. How about yourself? You are you are in Jamaica right now. I just want to share that with the world, that you are, you are sunning <laughs> it up in beautiful Jamaica. How is Jamaica currently at the moment? It's actually really hot right now, um, but it's nice, you know, every day. You know, I know I don't really got to check the weather. I very rarely get rain in the summer until maybe August, September. And I know it's going to be hot, so <laughs> I don't have much choices of what to wear. Yeah, that makes it a little bit uh, easier, no doubt. And and I can imagine, too, for sort of going outside and having a run every now and then, and go, oh, that's checking the weather. You don't need to worry about, oh, it's going to rain today. I can just go outside and go for a run. Yeah, I mean, usually you can tell when it's going to rain. You just look up in the sky and, like, it starts to get dark and the clouds are there. So, 
don't really have to check too much. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it a little bit easier. I, I'm very intrigued about kind of your, your background and how you got into sprinting because I believe growing up you were very active in terms of your, you know, sporting pursuits. But did I read correctly that you actually were a, a high jumper that kind of got into sprinting? Is that how it turned out? Uh, yeah, that's exactly kind of how it turned out. Um, I was just at a track meet one day and I seen like, he was on my team and I was like, ah, I got to be faster than him. <laughs> and they're like, uh, maybe. And I was like, all right, so let me try run the relay the next time. And that's kind of like just how it started. I just seen a guy and I was like, I, I can be faster than him. So that's kind of how I just got into sprinting. So what led you into to high jump in the first place of all the disciplines that you can kind of choose, I guess, in athletics? What was it about high jump? I think, honestly, I, I didn't really have a choice because I was coming from playing basketball, so whereas, you know, you could jump and you're playing basketball, jump the ball, they're like, oh, come do high jump, you're tall already, so, you know, jumping is great. I was like, okay. And it was just another way of missing school. <laughs> <laughs> that's, always, that's always a goal, right? I think any athlete would say, the only reason we did it, we just want to get out of school. And that works yeah. the best. So when, when you sort of, you say like, okay, I'm going to be faster than, than him and you, you go into that. I mean, do, do you get noticed? Kind of, do you then realize yourself like, hey, I'm actually quite good at this. I'm going to pursue this a little bit further. Um, not at first. At first I was just like, oh, I can run fast. So, hey, let me continue running. But I was still high jumping. And then eventually like I got tired of high jump and tired of the training. And I was like, all right, let me just continue sprinting. Like, this is fun. I can do this. And then I decided to like realize like, oh, I'm actually all right. And that's kind of how I get moving, like progressing into continuing to be track and field. And was it sort of with all the sports that you were competing in and growing up, was the Olympics something that you kind of paid attention to? I mean, I think you might be maybe a little bit too young to remember Donovan Bailey, but I'm sure you obviously probably learned about that later on. But I mean, was that something you followed closely growing up was the Olympic Games? I mean, I think I, I, I honestly can remember playing with like other kids and like somebody throwing a ball and it was just like, I was trying to run it down and it was just too far to reach. I'm like, who do you think I am, Donovan Bailey? <laughs> like I remember seeing something like that when I was young. But I mean, I knew who he was and like growing up, I knew about track and field and athletics and, you know, so it, was, it wasn't it was something that I, I, I was, was unfamiliar with, but at the same time, I don't think track and field or the Olympics was the goal for me as a, a child playing sports. It was just always be like, oh, I want to be a professional athlete. Was there a so, goal with any of the sports that you played that like being a professional athlete, was there one that you were thinking, wow, this is the dream, this is where I want to be? Uh, I think any sport I played. So if I was playing soccer, I wanted to play like in the Premier League or if I was playing basketball I wanted to be in the NBA it was just always oh let's be a professional athlete so once I I think that was the major thing that I wanted to achieve as a athlete in general that that, that was a goal I guess and I guess at that point where you're sort of mentioning before about how with, with sprinting you sort of realise, hey, you know, I'm not too bad at this. Th there must have come a time where all of a sudden you had to switch focus purely to that. I mean, d was there a time or did you still continue to play other sports? I played, uh, I played other sports uh, until I was 19. So it was like my final year of high school. And like I remember in January, like I came, we came back from my like Christmas break and I was like, all right, coach. I got to focus on track now. He's like, huh? 
mm, I can't complain. It's just what it is. And he's like, all right, do, do, do what you got to do. And I was like, that was like the first time I actually stopped playing other sports in order to focus on solely athletics. So I remember. And does that then, because I can imagine purely focusing your training on one sport that, that, makes you a better athlete i can imagine does that then improve your sprinting if you're solely focusing on that rather than playing the other sports you were well to me no but to everybody else yeah i mean i think the other sports kind of like a lot of athletes especially the younger ones like when you fo- when they focus on a one sport too young they're, they're they they end up being stressed out and getting tired of it and for me me having other sports around doing what was what kept the joy in track and field as well as them. So I think the issues that the people that who specialize in a sport earlier than me had, I, I never really ended up having. So a lot of people who are specializing in sports from like 12 years old, when they were my age at 19, they were like, oh, I'm tired of this, or I keep getting hurt, or something like that. You know, where I didn't have that, those issues, I, I never got hurt until maybe like I was 26 or 27 and like never was tired of it because I always had other things doing so for me it wasn't like solely just focused on athletics. When it comes to your career you're sort of more of a I guess a 200 meter specialist and a 100 meter specialist at what point do you kind of work that out is there a vast difference in kind of i guess the the i mean besides the distance being the obvious factor one's 100 meters longer but do you, when you're sort of training for these do you all of a sudden go okay well i'm actually better at a little bit of longer distance rather than a pure sprint of 100 meters um i think the 200 meters uh, i kind of just fell into it because i was a taller athlete so you know it gave me a little bit more time to accelerate and do make more mistakes and those things um but I always say, like, personally, to be a great sprinter, like, throughout the history of sprints, all the great sprinters can do both events, you know what I mean? So eventually, it's, it's going to come to a point where it's either I'm going to sit down and say, all right, I'm going to be great in both, or I'm just going to be an amazing 200-meter runner, but I won't consider myself a, a, a complete sprinter, you know? So my goal, personally, is to, to, to have the full package. Do you have to train differently though? Like, I mean, or do you just for that complete package? Is that kind of just into that? That when it comes to training, you don't need to specialize on one over the other. You just need to be able to complete training so that you can be both good at both. I think with the hundred meters, it's a lot more technical than the two hundred. So, whereas when I'm doing the two hundred, like we can just basically train, and then we can put a, put the little pieces together at the end of the year or when it's time to go race. Versus the hundred meters now. Like this year, we were training more for the 100 meters, and we know that we, we, I can run a good 200 meters. So we had a lot more focus on a lot of the technical aspects, especially me being a taller athlete, the start, the first 30 meter acceleration, you know, those things, and transitioning into upright running. Upright running is probably the easiest part for everyone, but, you know, um, it's a lot more technical and a lot more focus actually into the, the different phases of the 100 meter than versus. 200 meters. So that height aspect, that plays actually a real key role in, in sprinting. I mean, is that more of a positive or a negative? I mean, it's, I, uh, it's what you make it. You know, a lot of people can say, oh, it's a negative because you're so tall, it's going to be harder for you to start. Or you're so tall, you're going to finish faster than everybody. 
You know, so it's just what you make it. And uh, I mean, a lot of people dwell on their their weaknesses and say, "Oh, I can't. I'm not starting well, or I'm not finishing well." And you know, um, I've learned that you can get better at your weaknesses, but as long as you continue to keep your strengths up, like eventually it's gonna come together how you want. What is a general training week like for you, Brendan? I mean, besides just hitting a track and running, I mean, are you focusing on, on leg work at the gym? I mean, I'm guessing every day might be leg day for you. I'm not sure. I mean, kind of what is a, a general training week like for you? General training week. Well, now I train six, well, not now, but like when we're, when the season was actually kicking off and, you know, before COVID, it was six days a week, um, three days in the gym. You know, and we'd have like three hard days, three not so hard days, one really just like a technical aspect day of working on the things that we need to work on and then the two other days or the lighter days. Um, and in the gym, it was just, it's a lot of leg stuff, but we do do some upper body, which is, I guess, the counterbalance what we do with our legs. So, um... We did have all of that. So the hardest days were always Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. <laughs> and I think like Saturdays was because we weren't going to train Sunday. So he's like, "Oh yeah, you guys, you guys can't go party this weekend." Because <laughs> I'm, <a> <laughs> yeah. So that was it. And it, and I mean, a lot of some sports when it comes to coaching, like you know, there would be certain things, say, I can imagine swimming, for example, you know, work on your certain technique on your strokes, tumble turns, things like that. And I mean, athletics from someone like me who is not athletically inclined at all, Brendan, and, you know, can barely run, you know, 50 meters, let alone doing, you know, 200 meters in less than 20 seconds. I, I mean, what, what sort of techniques can a coach sit down to you and say after watching you? Is it, do they say, okay, your start's not good. We need to work on your start. Your, your running form is not good. I mean, kind of what are the subtleties that a coach will sit down and say, this is where I see you can improve on? Oh, well, all right. I'm going to just base it off of me. I'm like, when I had first started, we, my coaches looked at a lot of like physical weaknesses. So like strength in the weight room or like my core strength or like even just flexibility. So like those were hampering my running. So we worked on those things like, one year, it was all about getting my core stronger and getting me upright running. And then it would be like, all right, we're going to work on your flexibility, mobility, things like that. And like all of those things would, would show in the latter part of my races. So in the parts where I was tired. Because like everybody looks great when they're not tired. Mm -hmm. like, you look amazing. So it was like, okay, when you're tired. So that's, that's kind of how we started to break down the races and started to figure out what my weaknesses and how we could improve me, you know. So, like, and then I watched a whole lot of videos. I mean, I remember in 2015, I met Quincy Watts because he was coaching at USC, University of Southern California. And I was like, oh, you know, my first year in college, my coach used to make me watch a whole lot of videos of you. And he was like, yeah, well, thanks, you know. And me and, me and him are cool now, like, but, like, just the fact that, that was, he was one of the persons that I used to learn to become a better sprinter. And then he was also telling me that, like, hey, you know, I think you're really good. Like, you know, it was like, all right, you know, I, I learned a lot from you. And now you're telling me. So it was a, you know, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, applause from, from like your, your own teacher. So that, like, things like that, I think I learned from my coach. And that, that was how I got better. And in terms of, 
diet. I'm always very intrigued to hear athletes from different sports, kind of how diet plays a part into your training regime. Is there specific foods as a sprinter that you're told are are better for you or or worse for you, things like that? All right. I'm probably like the worst athlete when it comes to diet. (laughs) Um, And like, it's, it's such a big contradiction because like, in my my masters, I have my master basically in like nutrition, like exercise nutrition and stuff like that. So I was like, you know all the right things, but you do all the wrong things. Um, so for me personally, I don't always eat what you're supposed to eat. But like because of sprinting is such a power based um, event, power would be like you know you're, you're going to use a lot of muscle fiber. So protein is always going to be something great for you. You know what I mean? Our, creatine because it, it, it replenishes energy and you you use it in the first part of your race because of the explosive work that we do. So, like, I you can eat, like, from a lot of chicken, chicken breast, fish, eggs, things like that will definitely, you know, they're going to help you with your recovery as well as help with your performance somewhere or another. Um, and a lot of people don't see it that way. Just like eating vegetables and having iron. Iron is you know, crucial to your, your energy and all these different great things, red blood cell count. <laughs> it's all like one of these things like where that. you're so, secretly smashing a Big Mac before the race and kind of, you know, all of us non-athletes going, great, I can eat a Big Mac and I can be an Olympic medalist. <laughs> well, personally, I, I, if I'm eating McDonald's, it's going to be like chicken nuggets. Yeah, right, right. Of course. Yeah. I love. Yeah, I mean, I used to do it a lot in college. Like, and I think a lot of it was because I, I have a lot of food allergies. So I would just eat something that I know instead of, you know, trying to go with the healthy alternative. And then I go to get like a healthy salad and it has peanuts in it. And I eat peanuts and I'm allergic to it, you know. So I can go to McDonald's and I know if I buy fries and chicken nuggets and a, a, a drink, soda, um, I'm good. You know, so I think that was one of my reasons for eating so poorly. Well, isn't that all you eat in the Olympic Village? Just you're just constantly getting McDonald's, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't eat any uh, until I finished running. Right. But people just eat throughout the time. I mean, but like I, by then I was like five, four or five years like into being serious, a more serious athlete. So I kind of could understand like, hey, all right, if they have rice or if they have mashed potatoes, I can try to eat those things and and try to you know get like some chicken. So it's a little bit healthier than going to McDonald's, but I kind of understand that, hey, this is going to play a major role later down the road. When you eventually sort of throughout your career, I mean, you you started off representing Canada, of course, University Games, Commonwealth Games in in 2014. When you started sort of wearing the the red and white going to, to international events like this, I mean, how does that feel as somebody as your lifelong ambition was to become a professional athlete and there you are kind of standing in these big events representing your country? I mean, that must be a pretty proud moment for you. Yeah, I always like, I, people always ask me like, what's my favorite place to travel? And I always say Russia. And they're like, why? And I was like, it's my first time ever going like overseas. And like the first time for me to go overseas somewhere like in Europe, I went to Russia and I was representing Canada. So like that was a major thing. So maybe it might not be the greatest place I went, but just because of that memory that, you know, the fact that I was able to travel so far for it to represent my country, you know, it's always going to be something that will be a memory that I, I um, cherish. You know? And when you start getting to these events and you start sort of 
you know, performing well enough to be able to represent Canada. Did, did the Olympics all of a sudden become a, a more stronger goal for you at that point? Um, I remember, like, I think every, I think I have a, a answer for this for, like, in three different ways. In 20, 2008, I think this is when I really started to love track. I was in Jamaica at the time, and I was at the National Stadium, and I was watching their... Olympic trials, Olympic qualifiers for Beijing Olympics at the time. And I remember watching Asafa Paul and Usain Bolt and the crowd going crazy and cheering for them. I was like, oh, this is something that I want. Like, I would love this feeling. Like, I remember the feeling of just being in the stands. And then I remember sleeping in front of the TV 2008 watching, like, every race because, you know, 12-hour time different from Toronto. And then I remember 2012 where... Now, these guys that I was competing with are actually at the Olympics. So it's like, oh, wow. I mean, like, they're better than me, but it's a, definitely a possibility for me now. And then each year, I realized I was getting closer to these guys or beating them now or beating some guys that used to beat me. And I was like, okay, 2016, gotta be, I, I know I can go to the Olympics now. You know? So that was kind of like my progression of me being an Olympian for, from just watching in, as a spectator, like, with no aspirations to go into the Olympics, to, to see my friends there, to not to actually saying, you know, I'm going to be there. You know, so Fantastic. How close were you to making the team in 2012? Not at all. Nowhere near. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, like, uh, I remember Tremaine Harris, me and him went to school together. Aaron Brown, I always competed against. You know, Crystal Emmanuel, like, we're good friends. All of these people were at the Olympics that time. So it was like, okay, these guys are my age where we're either competing against each other or like good friends. And I'm like, okay, you know, definitely a possibility. And like, they probably wouldn't have believed it was a possibility. But like in my head, I was like, yeah, it, it, it's a possibility. And then each year, I, I, I seen the progressions and it was like I was closing the gaps faster and faster than they were expending which, it's a unique sport, sprinting, in the fact that you can spend most of the year, no doubt, competing against these guys, and all of a sudden you, you put on a team together to compete together in, in a relay. So when they come back from London, do, do you have that conversation, kind of get sort of the experiences about the Olympics from them? Or because they're kind of your competitors for most of the year, you kind of, they're not going to give it up to you? Um, I never asked, I, I didn't, I have never, I have yet to have a conversation about London experience with, the persons who ran on the relay. Uh, I've talked with Aaron and some of my young, my other teammates, like Akeem. Akeem was there. And I think Akeem what gave me the most insight. And his insight was just like why some person stopped doing track and field after. And, you know, because I guess like Olympics is the, the highest level for, I guess, for track and field. So that improvement then that you sort of, you say you're not close to making 2012, but then that period then you're really pushing towards Rio. So is it just, what was it that kind of got you to that level where eventually you did make the Olympic team? Um, I think one of the, the biggest factors was my coach at the time. Um, somebody like my best friend and he, he took the time to understand my weaknesses and not only physically, but mentally. So, I mean, I went to school and, uh, like, if you follow the NCAA, you know that track and field NCAA isn't easy to make, especially indoors, because it's only the top 16 best in the country at the time for indoors. So, it's, 
actually really hard. Um, and I made it my first year, and it was like, okay, you know, like you're competing against some of the best in in the world. Because I guess if you win NCs, you're basically one of the, the top five, top ten athletes in the world at the year for that year. Oh. So it just those little things gave me motivation in, to, in order to get better. And he just told me like, don't limit yourself um, and stop using the word can't. <laughs> that was a big thing for us, and like, we get punished for it. Because he's like, most things that you think you can't do, it's something that you, you're able to do. It's just that either you're like tired or you don't believe in yourself or something like that. So and I think those are things that pushed me to being better as an athlete in the, the four years, five years that I was with him. And it's sort of really entering a bit of a, a golden period for Canadian sprinting as well, kind of with some of the success that is going to come sort of in the, in the latter half of the 2010s. And, and do you think that all comes down to the coaching is there more to it that the maybe the canadian sports people are putting more money into sprinting kind of what do you think that happened with that uh, is the athletes um the later part in the 2000s and or well, 2010s actually started 2012 let's say that 2012 moving forward um it was a lot of the older athletes that were continuously making so like I think we are slightly going gonna go through that period again, um, coming into the well 2020s and moving forward. We're gonna start having a lot of older athletes make the team, and we had a at at 2012 we had a lot of young, hungry athletes and guys that just competed and just didn't care about who who's been there, done that already. And I think that that kind of pushed the older guys to get better. The younger guys kept getting better as well, and I think that's that's kind of where we got that that little resurgence of Canadian sprinting again. Um, twenty fourteen, I think, was the year when that kind of came into play because Andre de Grasse kind of came on the scene. Um, I, me, me, Andre, Aaron, all went to Commonwealth. I don't know if Akeem did that year actually, but um, that was like kind of the starting of that resurgence of. Canadian sprinting, like, well, 2012, of course, they medaled, 2013, they medaled, but I, it was still with an older squad, and then the young guys started to come back, come in, um, and I think that was the, the time that we seen, like, okay, you know, we can do it, and we just competed against each other, like, we were friends, but, like, you never want to lose to your friend, so mm-hmm. I think that was a real big thing, like, where... I mean, I don't know a lot of the older guys personally, but like they were content being the best in Canada, and we aren't because at, at the time Canada wasn't one of the best countries. So if you're the best in Canada, it doesn't mean anything. Well, now it means a lot because we got guys running sub twenty, sub ten. You know, we have world contenders now. That incident at the Pan Ams in 2015, obviously winning the gold and then kind of getting disqualified. I can imagine, as disappointing as that is, that, that must give an extra drive to all of you guys to realise, well, we're good enough to win a gold against some of the best in the world at the Pan Ams. We can do this. We can back this up next year. And you're obviously so disappointed after losing that that must push you to kind of make sure that doesn't happen again and kind of push you guys to keep going for a year later at Rio. Um, well, you know that we actually went to the World Championships after Pan Ams that year and we got bronze. So um, I think that was a motivation. And being at the World Championship, I think for me, 
that was no me and Andre. That was both our first world championship. So we went and you know we enjoyed it, but we went out there saying like, hey, let's compete, and that's just it. And you know you use the experience and you move forward and you get better. And I think that experience, Andre medals. You know, I I mean we medaled as a relay team. I came back with a PB. Like, All right, you know, now let's get prepared for the next year. And I think that was really what happened. We just all came in with a, a mindset that we're going to prepare for the next year and we're going to, the Canadian Nationals is going to be a show, basically. And I think that's where 2015 um, Beijing was like the, the year or the time that everybody kind of put it together and got got back to get um really fast <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's so fascinating as a spectator to watch the relays and kind of see it when a team gets disqualified and obviously we'll talk about shortly about rio because it kind of it worked in your favor rather than against you like it did at the pan ams but how how often are you guys working on those changeovers and and like how is that visually when you're sprinting kind of keeping an eye or mentally sort of knowing about the lines and things like that because it's just it's milliseconds isn't it that kind of cost you guys in those events yeah, but I mean, uh, well, we used to practice a lot, <laughs> and um, it worked, you know. But it, you know, as as we get older, as we become professionals, we all have different obligations now. So I think it's hard to to say we're gonna practice three, four times a year, two weeks each time when everybody has their own obligations as professional athletes and as, you know, young men, young women, you know, with their own lives and families. So the practicing definitely helps. And I think the more you practice, the, the better it is. But also, I think there's a negative to, to, to practicing a lot because you also, you, you, you know that you can make, you've made mistakes in practice and even though you make those mistakes, you get complacent because you're like, oh, I know Andre's going to get it to me. And I, I mean, it's happened to me and Andre all the time. Um, me and Andre, I think, made the most mistakes, and yet we have some of the best passes with each other. And other people may not see mistakes, but we know that we're making mistakes, and we laugh about it like after. like, uh, You know, so um, uh, practice is, is key. It is honestly key. And with the relay teams themselves, I mean, some of them are only decided kind of the day of, the day beforehand, right? Like then, are they how far in advance are they decided that who's going to be running the relays? Well, you don't, you know who's on the team. So if you have six guys, you know that six guys are those six guys are on the team. Maybe like a few months, few weeks in advance, depending on the, the competition and when the the selection is made. Um, but who's running? Who's running can change up to like two hours before you compete. Wow. So that's why practice is important in my eyes because like at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to happen on the day of. Um, so practice definitely puts people in a position that they can be successful and they're able to know, all right, so if Brendan isn't running, I know that I'm going to put him in that position and I know that Andre is going to be comfortable with getting this baton for me or Aaron's going to be comfortable because we practiced together already. So I think that is why practice is important. And then there's the times like where me, Andre, and Aaron, who've been running together now for like 
four or five years. It's been a while, actually. I, I didn't realize. Wow. <laughs> Six years? Yeah. Six years. So, 2014 would be our first team all, with all three of us. So, six years together. Whereas, like, we might not have the practice as much because now we, we kind of have that cohesiveness. And I can say, all right, Andre, yo, I'm not feeling so good today. Give me this amount. Or I'm feeling really good. Give me this one. You go, all right, I got you. And it kind of works that way. And is there also the position of like which leg you run? I mean, you know, does it say you're a better third runner and Andre's a better fourth runner? Do you kind of change it up or kind of is there a, is there a tactic to who runs in what position? Uh, coaches really kind of made that decision. We don't get to make that. I mean, I know that I'm kind of stuck in the, 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 the fourth, I'm in the third leg now, uh, but I don't mind. But whereas 2015, Andre ran... Back uh, the second leg. Um, Panams, he ran second leg. And Beijing, 20, uh, the World Championship, he ran. And then the next year, we switched it because he was going to run two events. So we were trying to limit the amount of practice that he had to do in order for him to focus on his event. So... Um, you want that glory, though, running the fourth one, right? So when you cross the line and you win that medal, you know, you're the one there celebrating. The cameras are flashing on you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think... You know, we all have like, yeah, we all want the glory, but at the same time, we all understand like we're we do our part, and you know, if we all do our part and we we do what we're supposed to do, we're all gonna get the glory eventually. Yeah, like we all have to come across the line and get to the cameras and all those things. So. National Championships, uh, 2016. You, you break the national record. You run under 20 seconds. You're going to Rio. Um, obviously an emotional time for you too. Obviously your mother had, had been sick as well. So, I mean, everything kind of came together at that point. You still have on your Twitter, your pinned tweet is that moment you were uh, successful in qualifying for those Olympics. So, I mean, clearly that was a, a huge moment for you with everything that just happened in those moments for you to get a ticket to Rio. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, of course, I think uh, Rio was the goal for that year. And um, like I said, after 2015, like, it was all eyes were set on the Olympics and, you know, going to the Olympics, meddling at the Olympics, like, that was just the plan. Like, to make it is one thing, but to, to go there and medal is the next thing. And, um, the national championships proved to, to me and to others that, like, not only is there Andre in Canada, but there's also me, there's Aaron, and there's all of us can all run at, like, high levels, you know, where we can all be medal contenders um, on any given day. That was, you know, that that race or those races, you know, where we're just proving something that I believed in. And I mean, like I said, in 2012 or 2013, a lot of persons wouldn't have believed that it would happen three, four, three or four years later. You know, so. And as sprinters, like obviously with 100 meters, the goal is to run a sub 10 100 meters for a 200 runner is to run under 20. You, you did that. I mean, how, how much are you constantly thinking about beating that time? How much does that weigh on a, on a sprinter to beat the magical 10 or 20 mark? Oh, it's definitely like the, the, the pinnacle. That means you know now you are in like the, the top of the top in the world. Um, you're somebody who can compete with the likes of, well, the likes of Usain Bolt. You know, you want to say that. You want to be able to say, all right, you know, if I'm running... 198 
and Usain Bolt has a super bad day, I probably can beat him. <laughs> you know, so it's just things like that. Um, but it it's just a barrier, and I think that it, it, it just means it's, it shows to you that, like, your work isn't done in vain. That's just the goal for everybody. And in the the two hundred at Rio, you you ultimately didn't, un, you know, unfortunately didn't make it out of the the heat stage. Finished twenty fifth overall. Andre went on to win the silver. Now you you beat Andre at those national championships. Is it a bittersweet <laughs> feeling to kind of? I mean, he's your teammate. You're no doubt happy. He's won a silver medal, but at the same time, you're thinking, I beat this dude a couple of months ago. That could have been me. I mean, of course you think that, but like I said, I'm always happy for my teammates. And twenty fifteen, I I was. Like the first person to, to jump for joy when he medaled and I'll always be happy for him. So it's not for me, I I won't say it could have been me. I would have loved for it to be me and him, you know, meddling, but it, it is what it is and we we all learn from it. Um it was one of the fastest years ever, first, first round. So I mean if it was any other year I would have made it through and you know what I got another day, but can't dwell on it. I mean I'm happy for him still. And I know that, yeah, of course I think I could have been there. And on that day, I mean, it was a, the finals day wasn't a good sprinting day, but I think they all were really exhausted from the semifinals. Is there much sledging, like trash talk going on when you're on the blocks? Do you, do you ever, are there certain athletes that kind of might give you a bit of a, hey, 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 Brendan, you're going to trip, mate, you suck. Like, I mean, is there that going on? <laughs> No, I don't think it goes on anymore. I, it hasn't really happened since I've been. But, I mean, in practice and, like, with people that I'm cool with, every day. Every <laughs> who, is, who are some of the ones that you, you know, do you want to name drop anybody? Like, these are particular serial pests I, when it comes to I it? I think I do the most of the, of the trash talk. <laughs> it's just, you know, I mean, when I was in college, we all used to do it. But, like, uh, a lot of people don't really like it. But I do the most of it now, uh, definitely. What do you what, no, uh, what do you what do you say? What what what's kind of your go to? Like, do you just like, oh, mate, you you go for the you know Knicks, the Knicks suck or something like that? Like, you just you know get on a personal level or kind of where do you go with it? I mean, like, we'll go in practice and like we'll do blocks, and I'll win the first one. I'm like, oh, you're not getting none today, none. <laughs> you, you you, I don't know. You might as well pack it up. <laughs> I like that would be me. Um, and there'll be days that I, I can't win any. And, and they'll be like, oh, so you're not talking today. <laughs> well, you know, so they, 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 they get me back when, when sometimes then, you know, I'll have bad days and I'll have good days. And even on some bad days, I'll, I'll be trash talking, definitely. Um, but I, I'm the one that usually starts it. I always start it. Because it just, it's like, especially in, since we've had COVID, we haven't had any track meets. So it's just something to keep us you know, going and motivated. Um, and a lot of guys, like, when they, when I'm, like, we might separate ourselves and we're not training together, you can't see that they're not giving the effort. And then when I come and I'm, like, in their air, it's like, okay. Bit of, bit of pump up. You know, Helping some, them out there, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, some, there's some days, like, we'll go and we'll do blocks and, like, you could drop a pin and hear everybody because they know, like, it's just so tense. And then, We'll be done as soon as we're done training. We'll be like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm three one on you, or three up. Like, <laughs> no one was talking the whole practice, and we we're like, oh, so what's going on? But it's just how it is. With the the relay itself, um, 
ultimately you finish fourth, but of course US gets disqualified. You end up with the medal. What are those moments like waiting when you're kind of you're hearing whispers or seeing that the US are disqualified, and all of a sudden you realise you might be walking away with a medal here? Um, it was kind of like we were surprised, and we we're like, oh, don't play around, kind of thing. Um, but it was cool. Like I can't say the moments were like heart wrenching. We were just like, all right. We broke the national record. We tried our best. And like, there's a picture of me, like, I think I was shaking someone's hand and looking up at the, the screen, like, damn, what more could we have done? Like, we run the fastest any other Canadians run. And, like, if this was 96, we would have won. Because mm. 96 won, and they had, they, they, they had the national record. And we, it's just one of those things. Like, any other Olympic year, we would have been in the top two, top three. All, like, hands down. So... Yeah, like, uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of, I guess it kind of adds to that moment, though. Like, you kind of like, well, what could have we done? All of a sudden, I said, well, at the end of the day, we, we still walk away with a medal now, too. So it kind of it adds a little bit of icing on the cake. <laughs> we're excited, ecstatic, but, like, at the same time, we're like, don't play with us because, like, we're really, <laughs> like, fourth is, like, the worst position you could finish, like, you're like right in the middle. You just almost got a medal, and you almost came fifth. Like, oh, damn. It's better we came fifth, but at least we would have had no chance. Mm. Now we had, we were like right, like a pin drop away, and like we ran fast. And we, I said, me and Andre always make mistakes. So if anybody was to watch that race, they would have been like, oh, it was great. But me and Andre made a mistake, and and Andre knows, but I know, but other people. And that's one of those things that I guess, you know, if you had stayed in fourth, would weigh on the mind, wouldn't it? They're like, oh, if we didn't do this, then where would have we been? I mean, like, I couldn't, I wouldn't have said anything because I know that Andre is coming from six races at, you know, two medals at the Olympics, six races. Just, he, he still gave his best. Like, if you watch him run, he's, shit, amazing. But we made a mistake. <laughs> and us, but at the end of the day, I couldn't say, like, damn, Dre, we messed up. Or he could have been like, he could have probably said it to me because I didn't run as much races. But I was like, I wouldn't have done it because at the end of the day, I know what he's been doing and I understand, like, he's got to be tired. And what's that experience like then sharing a podium at the Olympic Games with a sane bolt? I mean, that, like, the, the most decorated, you know, sprinter in the history of ever basically and there he is standing next to you on an Olympic podium that must be a pretty special moment yeah I mean if anybody knows him you saying he's a cool guy like both is really cool he's a person that's gonna talk to you he's gonna make you laugh so he's always gonna make the moment so much more fun you know so you gotta thank him for that and you know you gotta be happy that you're able to celebrate that those kind of moments with a person that you know is gonna always be on your side or, you know, bring you up, try to bring you up when you're down. And, things like that. and when you leave Rio with a, with a medal around your neck, come back home, you know, Canada obviously had a fantastic games in, in Rio. I mean, what was that whole experience like now? You're an Olympian, you're an Olympic medalist. I mean, d- does that change you in any way or do you just kind of go about things and you just got a nice piece of bling around the neck now? Uh, it doesn't change me, but it definitely changes like what I'm trying to do. Um, we try to capitalize on the market. <laughs> I'm gonna be. <laughs> you know, we try to get sponsors and try to, you know, 
make as much money as we can and enjoy it as much as we can. Because at the end of the day, it's every four years. So if it, if in four years time we reach the Olympics and it doesn't happen again, you know, and you didn't capitalize or you didn't make the best of the, the four years ago, well, damn, you're either going to wait four years and try to make it happen again and, you know, you don't get any younger. So it just gets a little bit harder each time. So, I mean, it's a great experience, you know. People uh, will start to know you a little bit more, you know, and you have to enjoy it. Um, it's a lot harder for us, I think. Well, Andre is always in and out of Canada, but I think me, Aaron, Akeem, a little bit harder. Well, it was a little bit harder because we're training still abroad, and, you know, so we wouldn't be in Canada as much as we would like to be. I mean, we took advantage of, of what we could have and what we couldn't. We just you know, tried our best. The two things I always love to find out from Olympic medalist Brendan is, one, where do you keep your medal? What, what, what have you done with your medal since you won it? Uh, it's at home. It's in Canada in my house, just, in my room. Actually. Right. So you don't put it on display or anything? It's kind of just in your sock drawer? I'm not trying no, to get it I, stolen. I'm just, you know, is it like a pride of place at the Brendan Rodney house? I will. I have um, my Olympic uniform from Rio framed. So eventually I'm going to put the, the medal and the uniform in the same frame. Nice. And I have it, yeah. But, um, right now it's not. Uh, my box actually broke and then... Our medals were tarnished, like tarnishing, so they made us send them back, and then they sent it to send us back. Right. So, yeah. interesting. And the other one, I tell you, like I, and I hear some funny stories with this. Do you ever try and get free stuff with it? Like, do you kind of walk into a shop with a medal and huh, Olympic medalist? I would love a free box of chicken McNuggets. I, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it work, and like you, like if I was to, I mean, I'm not that type of person. So, I mean, I guess if. When we were coming back from Rio, I probably could have put my medal on and like got upgraded to first class and stuff <laughs> like that. I mean, I don't, I don't use it to get free stuff. You should try I mean, it. Do, you should try I it, do, Brendan. Come on. <laughs> I do use it to get free stuff. Like I would say, oh, I'm an Olympic medalist. You know, could you sponsor me and give me free stuff that way? But I won't put it on and then walk into a store and say, hey, I got an Olympic medal. <laughs> It'll work. I'm telling you, it will work. Where you know. I'm thinking some some good things with that. With now the situation, of course, COVID, the games being delayed and everything like that, what was your viewpoint on kind of the delay, first of all? I mean, were you sort of hanging out for it being delayed? I mean, kind of what was that process like before they officially announced they were being delayed for you? Uh, Okay, well, Canada was the first to say that they're not going. So that was like the most gut-wrenching thing they could have ever done. Because if the games did actually happen, we wouldn't have been there. So I think they should have waited. But at the same time, you have to be a trailblazer and, you know, set the trend. And I guess that was kind of what pushed them to say that they're not going to have it. So uh, I wasn't one of those waiting to, to hear that it was going to be delayed. I was still preparing like it was going to happen. And how has that been then since the the cancellation and, and lockdown and everything along those lines? I mean, obviously affects your training, but, uh, I mean, how badly does it affect your training? Well, it hasn't affected us or my training that badly. Um, when we had a lockdown, yeah, I wasn't able to train every day, but I was still able to train like three or four times a week. So that was the good part about it. And I um, can't really complain. I think I got a little bit more rest and I... I was able to stay healthy, so that was a good thing about 
And how are you feeling you are right now, mentally, physically, kind of going into another Olympics compared to where you were four years ago? Wow. If it was, if it was March of this year or February of this year, I would have said that I'm in that shape that I was in 2016 or better. Now, we don't know. No one, no one really is going to know until they come back and, you know, they start racing. And it's just part of the game. I think we'll try to get some races in before we go on break this year. And then we'll just restart and just hope for the best. I mean, it, it's like anything. It's nothing is, is given, you know. So you can work 10 times harder and be slower. And you can work less and be faster. It's just one of those things that you, you never know until the day of or the days. And had the selections been done already or had you not had the trials yet? No, our trials would have been, I think, a week or two weeks, two weeks that just passed. Right. So we wouldn't have had um, So we'll have selections again next year in around the same time. June. Uh, June. Yeah, June. In July now, so June. And does that... Were there some of your team members that maybe were injured or something like that? That's obviously, you know, beneficial for them. Uh, I mean, does that give you an opportunity for some other of these guys who are maybe on the fringe to kind of train a little bit harder and maybe grab a spot for next year? It definitely does. And it, it, it also, you know, the people that were maybe guaranteed or thought they had a chance, you know, now they, they, they may not have a chance, you know. So a lot of people who are older. So, like, if you're 33 and, like, okay, you think this is your last chance, you're going to be 34 next year, so now it's a lot harder. So it, it has its pros and cons for everybody. And, you know, like I said, you got to just do what the best that you can do. And if it does happen, it happens. And if it doesn't, then, you know, at least you can say you gave it your best. And the only thing you can be mad is that there was a virus last year and you were probably in better shape. But and do you set yourself personal goals, Brendan? Like, do you say to yourself, okay, I, I want to make the finals of the of the 200 metres. I, w- I want to get a, a, a silver this time in the real. Like, do you set yourself goals like that? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think if I don't set myself goals, like right now, I have goals, but it's like, what can I achieve? There's nothing keeping. So it's, it, it, it lessens the motivation to go to training or, you know, so I think that the goals keep you motivated. As long as, you know, you have those and you have things that you can you work towards, it's definitely going to you know, get you back to where you want to be. And that's, like, right now I'm in training and I was like, uh, sometimes, like, I go in the gym. Like, I mean, I had goals of what I wanted to achieve, and I think I achieved most of them. But now it's like, can't even get half of that now. Because it's like the motivation isn't there. But, you know, we try, well, I try my best to, to try to keep close to that, you know, where my best was before all this happened. And, but I know that a lot of things are changing. Like, for example, power cleans. I mean, I can power cleans a whole lot. And before COVID, I was. But now my technique is off because I'm not squatting as much or I'm not focusing on my technique. So my technique is off and I'm not going to be able to lift as heavy. So it's just like a little pyramid effect. Uh, you know, uh, it comes down the ladder. And so, you know, it's just those little things that you kind of have to remember to focus on. And, to keep yourself healthy and keep yourself you know, in that range of being where you want to. And it's also mentally too, not just physically as well, right? I'm sure it's a kind of, you know, getting your, your mindset in that competition zone as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, mentally, like I said, the motivation is what kills you right now. Right now is what's killing you. But, I mean, 
knowing that you, you have an Olympics coming up again, it's just like you're gonna the motivation is gonna come right back as soon as like September comes around. You're gonna see everybody posting pictures, videos, training hard. You know, so it, it, it will come back right, right back around. So it's just part of track and field. It's just like a, a year where you don't have a championship. Like, so what what would be a Commonwealth year for us? I mean, Americans and some other countries don't have anything, so they just. Uh, the motivation to just go through the motions, do what they have. It's it's very fascinating, and you know it's it's kind of particularly, yeah, as you're saying, that's an interesting point. Sort of how 2018, 2014, 2022, you guys will have a Commonwealth Games, uh, as well as a bunch of other countries, but yeah, some don't. And how how are the Commonwealth Games viewed? I mean, I know it's kind of slightly off topic, but I mean, you know, we as an Australian, you know, we take them quite seriously. You guys take them quite seriously. But as a as an athlete, like in a sport like athletics, are Commonwealth Games one of these major meets you kind of aim for? Or is it kind of one of the the sort of second level ones that you can go if you can go, but it's not a major one you sort of focus on? A lot of people don't go because they kept that weird times of the year. Like last one was in April. And then was it 2010 was in October, you know, so it's just one of those things that a lot of people try not to go to or, you know, if, if you've been running a lot and you've been getting hurt, you use it as a recovery year to get healthy. When I was young, 2013, 2014, I was like, I got to go because I only made one team. I got to make more teams. So, and my coach was like, just rest, just rest. You're going to have a hard three, four years coming. I probably should listen. Oh, well, I went. <laughs> you got to go. You got but, to go to um, Scotland. Come on. That, you know, that was a trip. Yeah, it was exactly. It was just a trip. <laughs> but um, everybody looks at it differently, and it's just how your approach on it. I mean, uh, a lot of people say, you know, because it's an off year, they can go and they could be a little bit more relaxed and have a little bit more fun. Some people say, okay, you know, this is going to boost my career, so I got to go in order to get the jump start for the next year, or, you know, so... Everybody's different. Now, I, I, I was scrolling through your, your social feeds, um, Brendan, and I saw a picture of you on the Gold Coast back in 2018. But did you compete in the Gold Coast or did you, were you just there to support? I was there to compete and I got that. It was the first time I've ever gotten hurt. Right. And I got hurt in the training camp while we were there. Um, so I, I went and I, wasn't, I just wasn't able to compete. So I kind of got a trip. To Australia, where I could you know, see Australia, but like at the end of the time, it was bittersweet because I, I don't like going to track meets just to watch. Although I always complain, like, hey, when am I gonna get to watch? You know, so it's when you're there and you start watching, you realize, oh, hey, this is no fun. Who wants to watch these? <laughs> like, yeah, you want to compete, but I mean, I, I took it and I, I uh, enjoyed. I think it was a learning experience, you know. And I came back in the next. I mean, I compete. I ended up competing up later in the year. And, you know, I got back healthy. And I think it, that break was probably the body, the break that I should have take, taken in 2014 <laughs> when I didn't listen. So that was, um, you know, it was a good little two-month break, I guess. You got to hang out with some kangaroos. I mean, that pitch is great on your yeah, Instagram. I was, I was there for one month, I think, or so, or five weeks, so a month and a little bit. Um, and then I was still hurt, so that was the the bad part but I mean I had to rehab and get back together so yeah it was cool it was you it was know cool. the positives come out of that Brendan we like to with our guests on this show have a bit of a, a fun little uh, ending with a sort of a questionnaire and 
I think I mentioned to you off air that this was something that the Team Canada Olympic page actually did in the lead up to Rio, where they selected. Um, sure. Did you did you do this? Probably. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure, but I remember doing like some interviews and some stuff before going. Because I couldn't so find I yours. So I mean, if, if they if they did interview, they might not have published it, or maybe my research skills aren't that good. Because I tried to see if you'd done one of these, so I didn't have to double up on this, but. Bugger it, we can do it again. You might have changed your opinion in four years, right? <laughs> so these are essentially just some fun little quirky questions to find a little bit more about you. Um, so the first question here, who to you is the greatest Olympian of all time? Greatest Olympian of all time? Mm. I mean, some people might say Rowan, some people might say Usain Bolt. Um, it's one of them. One of them? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the first Olympics you remember watching, you kind of answered this before, I think. Was it 2008? Do you have any memories watching Olympics before 2008? No, I don't. But, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I watched them, but I don't have any like, in my, you know, brain box. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing coming there. Uh, if you could be any superhero, who would you be? I'd be, like, Superman. Or like, yeah, Not the Batman. Flash? The Flash, I'm thinking, I'm thinking sprinters would go for Flash, but no, Batman's everyone. Always be Batman right. when you can be Batman. Definitely Batman. Yeah, of course. I even want my car to Batmobile. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the whole key of being Batman. That's the only reason, right? That's They, they want the Batmobile. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Vanilla or cookies and cream. Uh, see, I always am happy when people answer vanilla because I'm a vanilla man and people think vanilla is boring, but vanilla is a great flavor of ice cream. Honestly, the best. Yeah. And vanilla bean, <laughs> when it's kind of even more vanilla-y, like, oh, yeah. really good. Um, if you were a base, well, this actually, I, I think you can relate this to sprinting because you guys generally sort of have the, the headphones going on, don't you? So, I mean, this question says, if I were a baseball player, my walk-up music would be, but I mean, you've got walk-up music, don't you, as you walk up to the blocks, right? No, we don't because like in track and field, it's not like swimming. So swimming, you can wear your headphones up to the block. Whereas in track and field, once you go into the car room, you have to have no electronics. Right. That's a difference. So we, like walk-up music, I don't know. I don't. Lots of tunes to get it, get out there to get yourself pumped up and motivated. It would, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You're going to be thinking about these next time, aren't you? you you're going to be there. Uh, now, I, I read what your nickname is. Uh, but so this question is the best nickname I've ever been called. Now, I don't know. So your, your nickname is Bucky. Is that correct? Yeah. So where does Bucky come from? So I had Bucky. Right. Wow. So that's that's <laughs> it's one of those nicknames which maybe doesn't have a great background, but you, you so kind of stick to it. So it it's, I couldn't fight it. Everybody called me. So what am I supposed to do? Stop and just say, <laughs> like, ah, I'm to fight everybody now. It's just something you just, you know, you just take on and, you know, I just live with it. I don't mind, honestly. <laughs> Do you have any other nicknames that uh, maybe don't come from a physical appearance at all? <laughs> um, not that I can think of. Not, no, not any nicknames that, like, a vast majority of people call me other than that. Batman. We'll start Batman. Brendan, we, we need to start calling you Batman. I like it. And when they eventually do like the swimming style thing where you have the walk-up music, we can play like the Batman theme or something like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Get you really pumped up. Uh, if there was a movie made about you, who, who, what actor would play you? Which actor would play you? See, like, I would, I want to say Jason Statham because he's my favorite actor. <laughs> but like, it kind of doesn't work. <laughs> so I don't know. But that's my favorite actor. 
Yeah, go for Jason Statham. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, there could be some sort of technicality we can work out there. Um, <laughs> if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Um, what would I be if I wasn't an athlete? Probably like a physiotherapist or a businessman. You could Something do all like three. I could see you being athlete, physiotherapist, businessman. You know, there's scope there somewhere. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely doable. I've seen people do things like that. Like there's lawyers that are athletes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a lawyer and you have your own practice, then you're kind of a business man, woman, person. Yeah, no, so, it's it's all there. It's all can all can happen. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure snack? You know, I honestly, I don't eat a lot of snacks. As much as, like, I say I eat bad, I don't eat a lot of snacks. So I don't really have a... It would have to be ice cream. Mm-hmm. That's a good snack to have. I was going to say, when you mentioned the nuggets before, um, I haven't had nuggets in a long time. But now, I, I, I've got to be honest with you, Brendan. I've been thinking about nuggets a lot in this interview. <laughs> I honestly haven't had them in a long time. <laughs> probably, probably not since, like, last year. But I do eat a lot of... KFC, no. Right. KFC, yeah, like we. Just not that you're going to be getting the nuggets next time, or you can basically maybe with the whole idea of, you know, pushing yourself towards a goal, say, when I win Olympic gold in Tokyo, I will celebrate with nuggets. Yeah, but there's no more McDonald's in the village, so it's not going to be the same. <laughs> Just you, you go up to them with that gold medal and go, okay, I know these are free, I know I'm getting them, but I want all of them. You're cooking me nuggets for 24 hours. I want a gold medal, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that I'm sure they'd listen. Um, what are your favorite song lyrics? I always find this a tricky question because it's not like what's your favorite song. Like lyrics are very specific. Unless you straight away know I'm motivated by this song and these lyrics. Like this is a very like this is one you need to think about a little bit more. I feel it's one of those questions that like they gotta prepare you for this question. Like okay, you know what? Listen to some lyrics and tell me which one of these are your favorite. Yeah, kind of yeah. We might need to yeah. change that, tweak that one moving forward. I honestly don't know. And it would have to probably come from your favorite song, and I don't really have a favorite song right now. Okay, okay, yeah, no, we'll, we'll tweak that moving forward. What is the most recent TV show that you binge-watched? I'm watching, I think it's called Bad Blood. I'm watching it right now on Netflix. Right. That's the most recent. And it's something about Montreal and, and drugs. Oh, okay. And I'm like, I never knew about this, but they're saying it's based on a true story. So I'm learning something about Canada that I didn't know. Yeah, there you go. Well, check it out. I, I, I wasn't aware of that either. So they we're learning new things here. Uh, what is the favorite, where, where is your favorite place in the world to compete? To compete. I want to say Canada. And... Because, like, we get to compete against ours, first of all, each other, and then we get to compete in front, in front of, like, our friends and family. So that's probably why that would be my favorite place to compete, other than maybe, like, China. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's actually, you know, touching back a little bit to what I was saying about the Commonwealth Games, about how they're kind of treated. Uh, Hamilton are, are in the running, it seems, to get the 2026 Commonwealth Games. I mean, if, if they end up getting it, is that something that pushes you towards maybe a uh, home Commonwealth Games or you just don't think about that sort of stuff too far in the future? Too far. <laughs> Tokyo's on the mind. I think, I think the best home games that I've been to was 2050. Well, I've only been to one. 
Mm-hmm. But by 2015, made it see made the home games, you know, so much sound so much better. So, I mean, I would love for them to get it. I mean, I'll probably be in the stands watching, you know. But uh, yeah, 2026. Like, we're in 2020, 28. That's six years. Like 34. Maybe who knows? Who knows? Never say never. Yeah, old actually. I thought thought I would be older, but it's nah, not that. You're um, young. You're you're way young. Come on, you 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 you'll be. Gold medals. You hear here first. I'm off the podium. You know, Brendan Rodney, gold medalist, 2026 Commonwealth Games. Um, now, another thing I read about you is that you are an avid video gamer, so I'm interested on this question. What is your favorite video game? My favorite video game? I don't um, – all right. I'll say, like, NBA 2K because it comes out every year and, we, you know, we're able to play new ones or FIFA. Like, something that, like, has a new one. But I do like Call of Duty. Okay. Um. And they, I don't like like Fortnite at all. But they have something that's similar to the Fortnite like um, system. Like I, I don't, I don't know if you play games. I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I'm, I'm not a Fortnite person. Don't worry, you're not offending me. I've what never got into it. Have you ever played Fortnite? I no, never touched it. I, I heard about it, uh, and then I'm like, that sounds weird. So I, I never even touched it. Well, basically, Call of Duty has this war zone. Mm-hmm. And like Warzone is kind of like based off the Fortnite kind of scheme where it's like a community playing in one big area and then it gets smaller. As So that's cool because it still has a um, Call of Duty like aspects to it. So right. I'll play it that yeah. Interesting. So I don't- with the NBA, um, I'm guessing you're quite excited for August 1st then for it, for it to resume. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. You're not. You're not excited. Don't. 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 Not, think- I don't think it makes any sense because the fact is, NBA would have been done already. Mm-hmm. And for them to go back and um, try to, you know, finish the season. What What happens in October now? Yeah. You know, true. they play for a month and a half, right? Six weeks. That goes to September, and then they only have four weeks to get ready ready for October. It's kind of defeats the purpose and then it's like you're gonna put athletes at risk to get hurt and then the next season is gonna be in worse shape because of so i i'm not really a fan of it personally they i think with the nhl they were talking about um starting the new season in december i don't know if that's what they were doing with the nba um kind of given yeah the, the sort of turnaround but um do you do you who's your team in the nba um i mean i'm gonna say raptors because in Toronto but other than that um, I don't really have a team other than the Raptors I'll watch players and watch you know things that people do hard not to get caught up in uh, the Raptors after the last 12 or so months uh, particularly being a I mean I've been a, I've been a Raptors fan since they first started uh, but I kind of I'm a Raptors and a Bulls man because you know growing up in the 90s you kind of couldn't avoid the Bulls but um, yeah Living in Canada, I could imagine during last year would have been something else to be able to experience all that. Uh, what is your biggest fear in life? Biggest repeat. Biggest your biggest fear. Uh, I don't know anymore. It used to be like losing people that I love, like my mother or something. But like I've come to the realization it's a part of life now. So I don't know. <laughs> It might be my son now, losing my son. That would be my biggest fear. 
Right, right. Well, that's, you know, that one makes sense. How, how old is your son? Can I ask that? Two in September. Oh, wow. And is that something that, you know, should he put on the, uh, the sprinting boots, you will support him? Or is that something you're just going to be like, mate, you do whatever you want to, but don't do sprinting? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't sprint. I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> um, but uh, if that's what he wants to do, then, uh, you know, of course I'll support. But I wouldn't recommend him to. I wouldn't say, all right, let's go sprint or something. Like, if he does it because that's what he wants, then yeah, fine. Fantastic. Uh, the final question for you, uh, Brendan, what is the one thing you can't live without? Hmm. I don't know. Probably, like, I'm not even going to say my phone. I don't know. People? People? Like, people think, they always say, like, you can live without people, but, like, the interaction alone, like when you, I mean, COVID, you could see like a lot of people were complaining about like mental health and stuff like that. And, you know, so the interaction with people is like a big thing. And being able to just talk and have a conversation, like you may not need your phone. And a lot of people don't realize that they're on their phone talking to people. But the fact that you're around people and, you know, interacting is probably the the most important thing. Yeah. So like. Great answer. No, I completely agree. It's certainly been a very interesting time sort of uh, looking at the dynamic about, uh, you know, chatting to someone on a screen and chatting to someone in, in person and kind of, you know, realizing there is a bit of a difference. Brendan, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to chat with you today about your career and kind of prospects moving forward. And I'll say right now on behalf of the show, best of luck for, for Tokyo 2021. It feels weird saying that, but uh, obviously that's when it's going to be taking place. And myself, co-host Colin and Jared we're going to be cheering from the couch and I hope we're sitting here in a year's time in front of our microphones watching you with another medal wrapped around your neck and the maple leaf draped around your shoulders celebrating another successful game so best of luck for it all thank you very much really appreciate it Fantastic chat with Brendan there and really do appreciate Brendan's time today in order for us to have that interview to be brought to you uh, wherever you are listening, of course. And we are continuing on these interviews along the way. Our next interview um, is going to be a bit of an interesting one. Uh, It's sort of anybody who's listened to any of our other sister shows, particularly around Survivor, would be probably more so familiar with this person as a Survivor contestant. Uh, Ziggy's a game. Now, uh, Ziggy, of course, competed on the fourth season of Australian Survivor. Did quite well and uh, unfortunately didn't get invited back for All-Stars. But, of course, many people would also be very much familiar with the fact that Ziggy actually is an Olympian. She's a bronze medalist, a water polo player, was part of the Australian team that won bronze in London, also competed in Rio. And we're going to chat to Ziggy a little bit about her Olympic career, water polo. First time we've ever had a water polo player on the show. So I'm very much looking forward to learning a little bit more about the sport, about her Olympic career and everything else in between. So we're sort of alternating, it seems, between Australians and Canadians each week. So it's Australia's turn once again next week. So uh, tune in for that. That is going to be a fun, informative chat with Olympic bronze medalist Ziggy Zagame. So, yes, tune in for that. And if you want these episodes delivered directly to your speakers without having to search for them, the best way, of course, is to subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all the good platforms and the bad ones as well. And while you're there, mash that button with the feedback. Let us know what you think of the show. Got any guests you'd like us to get on? We are open-ended to anybody. 
Doesn't matter if they're from Canada, Australia, Burkina Faso, you name it, we'll, ch- we'll chat to them. And maybe they can teach me how to chat because apparently I lose my way when I get that excited. Um, so by all means, hit us up. Facebook, of course, Twitter. You can hit us up on there and let us know who you would like to hear from. And we will do our very best to try and get them on the show. Thanks again to Brendan. A lot of fun chatting to him today. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This has been Off The Podium. My name is Ben, and I will speak to you, or Colin, one of us, maybe both of us. We'll speak to you next time. And Jared, too. Sorry, I keep forgetting him. He never does these interviews. But, hey, Jared, I know you're there. You're listening. One of us three will speak to you next time. Good night. Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think